0: Sup, y'all, and welcome to The Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, Jack Vita. Really fun podcast episode coming up for you today. I have a fantastic guest joining me in a second, but before I bring him in, let me just tell you about him real quick. Mario Lanza is one of the historic figures in the world of reality TV, and let me tell you why. And first of all, this is not the same Mario Lanza that's the historic composer. This is a different guy. Back in the early days of reality TV and the early days of the internet, Mario Lanzo was one of the first people to really write about a reality show. One of the first people who... And now, think about it. There's so many blogs everywhere. People analyze the strategy of Survivor, Big Brother, or even The Amazing Race, or The Challenge, or you name it. There's always these blogs and recaps and podcasts everywhere Mario was maybe the first person to really do that when he covered Survivor back in its heyday, writing recaps and analyzing the strategy and the psychology of the game and of the show. And his legend has grown. He has created a blog of his own called The Funny 115, funny115.com, his own website where he counts down the funniest moments in survivor history and his site has over a million hits. He's a big star in the reality TV world, but he was a trailblazer that paved the way for a lot of people. He's since written a book about Survivor, hosts a podcast called The Survivor Historians. He also does recaps of Saturday Night Live on his podcast on a different podcast with Mike Bloom as well, and he most recently started up a podcast called Staff Picks, where he talks about his favorite underrated movies. So if any of those things pique your interest, I suggest you check them out. But today, we're to talk about a different passion in his life, and that is the great game of baseball. Yes, he loves the Mariners, is from the great city of Seattle. Together, Mario and I are going to touch on several of the hot-button issues in Surrounding and pertaining to the game of baseball, I've said the game of baseball several times today. <laughs> Just you know, hyping it up. It's a great game. But we're going to talk about a lot of the hot button topics, such as juice, baseball, stadium netting, pitch clock, intentional walks, or the intentional walk rule, robo ump, stealing first, uh, bat flips, a lot of things along those lines. But we're also we'll also talk about the enshrinement and the induction of edgar martinez into the hall of fame mario is going to share with us why that's such a big deal and why that is so important and we'll see where else this takes us it should be a really fun conversation about baseball and if you like baseball this is the podcast episode for you at this moment i want to welcome him in mario how are you doing
1: I am doing great. I am so excited to actually talk about baseball. This is so new for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was telling everyone about you're big in SNL, Survivor movies, and
1: is would baseball be your fourth passion? It is. I wouldn't say it's my number four passion in life because it depends. Like if I will just flat out say right from the start. I'm a Seattle Mariners guy. If the Mariners are interesting, it is my number one thing that I care about. If they're not interesting, it is about my number six thing I care about. So it depends on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so right now, downhill at the moment.
1: Yeah, I'm not even sure what their record is right now. (laughs) I think they're about 30 below 500, I want to (laughs) say. That's something. That does seem right. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's around there. (laughs) Dan Vogelbach having a good year. He is the one thing, he and J.P. Crawford, they're the two guys yeah. making this season interesting. Yeah,
0: that was that big trade, uh, J.P. Crawford for Segura.
1: Yeah, everybody hated it at the time. It's looking real good now, though.
0: Yeah, I think Segura is hurt. He might still be hurt.
1: Yeah. Also, he's kind of a jerk. Like that's the thing. Like it came out after we traded him. But yeah, nobody liked him, and he was responsible for fights and clubhouse, uh, you know, dissonance. So it was kind of nice to get rid of him. It's 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 one of those things. Right time to get rid of Robbie Cano too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Depoto gets a lot of crap, but that is going to look like one of the greatest trades in baseball history one yeah. day.
0: I think. Just get rid of that contract.
1: Yeah. Just send send the garbage off to New York where it belongs. <laughs> oh boy. Am I allowed to say that? No, that? You
0: sound like John Rocker right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I promise I will not quote John Rocker at any point on this podcast.
0: Okay, great. So, Mar- I, don't, I
1: don't like New York, I will point that out.
0: <laughs> I have only been to Cooperstown.
1: All right. Hey, so was Edgar Martinez, so that's oh, good. Oh,
0: yeah, great. So we'll get into that in a second. Um, I was just going to say, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of warm-up questions here so we can uh, loosen up, You know, play a little bit of catch. You ready for these?
1: Thank you, Dad. I've always wanted to have a catch, yes.
0: <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So what's your favorite ballpark, Mario?
1: Oh boy. I'm gonna give a very controversial answer. This is one that I bet not many people will say. And I will couch this by saying I grew up in the Seattle Kingdom. I was basically spent my entire childhood there. I love that place. I know a lot of people didn't, but when Safeco Field opened up in Seattle, I've never really accepted it as the Mariners park cause it's too upscale for me and it's too expensive and it's like, it draws a different crowd. It doesn't really, I've never really liked Safeco. It's too expensive for me. So I will say there's one stadium in baseball that you can go to and it still, still feels like you're in the 1980s where it's not super expensive. It's not super upscale. Parking's relatively cheap. Still, you can get nice cheap tickets. You can walk there and that would be angels stadium in anaheim which still feels like you're in the 1980s every time you go there the
0: coliseum doesn't feel like that in oakland
1: the coliseum is nice i just haven't been there as much okay i live down here in southern california now so i go to angel stadium and i just love angel stadium it's it has not been modernized like a lot of the other stadiums so i just it's an answer you will not get from many people but i feel very much at home at angel stadium
0: they have the uh halo dog right do they still have that
1: I believe they do. I uh, will guiltily admit that I usually b- bring in my own food, so oh, I do not buy okay. that. But yeah, they do have the the, the, the Halo Dog. Yeah, I, they have good concessions there. But again, and not like like you go to Seattle and they have sushi and like the itchy fries and all sorts of these goofy, yeah. you know, fantastic things. And in Angel Stadium, they don't really have that. It's really just you know Angels dogs and and uh, you know peanuts and beer, and that's about it. So again, I really like the simplicity of Angel Stadium. Yeah.
0: That I've been there. It's a good place. I like it.
1: Yep. And it's 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 like not in a big city. It's not surrounded by metropolis and traffic and everything. It's really easy to get to. You can like I used to work right there. I could park at my old job and walk there for almost for free. It's it's really nice.
0: Yeah, and you get to watch Mike Trout, so
1: (laughs) I do. I yeah, Mike Trout I think lifetime against my beloved Seattle Mariners. I think I looked it up. He's hitting nine (sighs) eighty with three thousand home runs. I think I looked it up. Yeah,
0: uh, I don't think anyone's hit 3,000 in a career, <laughs> but maybe they have against a team.
1: I might have been rounding up. It's hard to tell. But yeah, Trout, I again, I I love the Mariners, but Mike Trout is so good and he's like such a good dude. It's hard to hate him. So I, I kind of appreciate Mike Trout, even though he spanks us. Like in yeah. this video, it's terrible.
0: Yeah, he's a great guy to have to market the league around. Have you seen the new commercial
1: with him in it? No, what is it? Is it just him hitting home runs against Seattle?
0: <laughs> that could be a different commercial, but uh, this one—it's like a full minute long. It aired during the All Star Game, and it's like showing all these moments of his career, and then it ends. It's got like he—he he says all these things. Like some people say, "I'm—I'm not—I might not be what everyone wants me to be," and I was like. You're exactly what everyone wants you to be. I don't get that line.
1: (laughs) Well, he's not like flashy. He's not like Michael Jordan out there in every commercial. So, like, yeah, if if you want someone to be the spokesperson for your sport, he's not the most dynamic. But dang, is he good?
0: Yeah, he's fantastic. So, yeah, I guess that you answered the second warm-up question I had for you, which was what's if you were to buy food at a ballpark, what would it be?
1: Um. I'm not historically a ballpark food buyer, but okay. I will say, let's see, what is something that I've had that I like before? If you go to San Diego, they sell hodads. Hodads, do you know what hodads is? What is a hodad? Hodad is this really famous San Diego burger place. Like in Ooh. Southern California, you have In n Out Burger, and then there's like Whataburger in what Texas or whatever. Yeah. San Diego has Hodads, and it's very—it's a hard place to find. It's off by the beach. It's this legendary burger place, and they actually, I believe, sell Hodads at uh, whatever the name of the park is. Petco is that the name of? It? I forget.
0: Yep. Petco. San park. Diego.
1: Yeah. So they sell Hodads there, and it's kind of a neat little treat if you know about it. So that's that was my my answer
0: and that that's funny cuz that's the park that I would say I've I've been to like 9 or 10 that is the one that has the best food in my opinion. They've got okay. delicious tacos and they have like the best ice cream sandwiches. It's like a homemade cookie with really rich ice cream in between, so good. <laughs>
1: mm. Yeah, San Diego in general, I'm not a really fan of the city. We don't go down there. I only live two hours away from it. Yeah. We don't go there very much. But in general, like they invented fish tacos, I think, in San Diego. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite foods. So they're a very underrated culinary part of the U.S., that San Diego market.
0: Yeah, you can get that at Petco if you go back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will go back just for that. I will try the ice cream sandwich. Good,
0: good. All right, so, Mario, uh, you're the perfect guest to have on this week because your boy Edgar Martinez just got inducted into the hall of fame. Mm -hmm. So I want to, I'm going to turn it over to you for a little bit. I'm a young person. I'm turning 25 next week. Most people, my age, I mean, look, the 95 Mariners, that was, I was one year old when that they existed. So I didn't live through Edgar Martinez. I did not get to appreciate him the way that people who are a little older than me are. So, Please explain to me the importance of Edgar Martinez as a player um, in the history of baseball and to the city of Seattle. So go ahead. You can talk for as long as you want. <laughs>
1: oh, good. Uh, just set your timer. I'll be like an hour here. I'll just monologue here. OK, so Edgar Martinez, I will give you the short answer here is that every franchise has the one player that defines them. And for years, you would think that Griffey would be the Seattle guy. That tends to be the name people associate with the Mariners or Ichiro. But it's really Edgar. Like every franchise, you have the Kirby Puckett for the Twins, Cal Ripken, Tony Gwynn, you know, like Ernie Banks. The one guy who was with the entire team his entire career and he's beloved and everyone loved him. That is without question Edgar for Seattle. And it's one of those things like when they wouldn't vote him into the Hall of Fame, it was almost offensive because – like, that's our guy. Why Why won't you let our guy into the Hall of Fame, who clearly has the numbers, and he's so beloved, and everyone loves this guy, and he's like the face of the franchise. And it's like one of those things, like, if he had been in New York or one of these big East Coast cities, this guy would have been in the Hall of Fame on his first ballot. So yeah. <laughs> he was always really important to Seattle, and he was also, like, our perfect representative because he is— Kind of humble and unassuming just like seattle in general like you don't think of seattle being this big sports town it's kind of this thing way up in the northwest that's really quiet and sleepy which was perfect for edgar because he was just there his entire career he didn't give interviews he didn't really talk much like i will tell you i i saw edgar martinez in the mall a bunch of times wow. when i was a kid and this is after he had won a batting title i think he won his first one in 91 or 92 and like 94, you'd see him sitting in this food court in my, my local mall, uh, Crossroads Mall in Bellevue, Washington. And nobody even knew who he was. He would just sit there. No one would even bother him. My mom would always say, oh, look, Edgar's here. <laughs> <So> like, <laughs> he was just the perfect face of our, of our franchise. And he never laughed. He had chances to leave. He never did. Like Ken Griffey laughed. Alex Rodriguez, Randy Johnson, Ichiro, they all laughed at a certain point. Edgar's the one guy who never did. So I will always say he was the one guy that means something to Seattle fans. Like it's, I don't think the city has ever really attached themselves to a player as much as him. So that's my short answer.
0: Well, that's good. I appreciate that answer. I also, could you defend for me, because I know this was another question that a lot of people, when it came to the voting, one of the things they held against Edgar, uh, how do you justify voting for a designated hitter? I
1: don't even think I need to. I mean it's uh, you you're young, you're 25. You're like the yeah. eating eating Tide Pods generation. <laughs> I'm I'm older. I'm 45. Even I am too young to be alive when a designated hitter was invented. It has literally been around longer than even me. So like I don't even think you have to justify. It's just it's a position same as anything else. And it's even more ridiculous like when they start putting relief pitchers in there who can come in and throw 6 pitches in a game. And they're getting in 100% on their first ballot. And then, no, you know, no shady Ed Mariano, who clearly <laughs> deserves to be in there. But Same in man. general, like, how can you argue that relief pitchers are more valuable than designated hitter? There, If you have vote for one, you have to vote for the other. That's a great point. Yeah, so I don't even think I need to defend it. This guy had a 400 lifetime on-base percentage, 500 slugging like the face of the franchise and he's in a position that's been around literally almost 50 years. So there's I don't think there's even a debate at all about the position. If you want to argue he didn't have the counting numbers like he didn't get 3000 hits or 500 homers, that's fair, but the argument against the uh, the position I it is it is silly. Okay. Well done there. I appreciate that. Yeah. What, what do you think? Like, what is? What are your thoughts on that? I'm curious. Obviously, you know what my thoughts are.
0: Yeah. Well, I have a belief that's similar to the way you look at Survivor winners when it comes to the Hall of Fame. I never want to bash anyone who gets in the Hall of Fame. I think if you're there, you deserve it. In addition to that, my, I guess my one thing, the reason why I want to know about the uh, how people stand a designated hitter is. There was a guy on this past ballot who only got like two votes, who was on his first year on the ballot, who I grew up watching play, and mm-hmm. his stats were very similar to Edgar Martinez's, and that was Lance Berkman yeah. uh, for the Astros. And he also, in addition to that, did play a position and played it well, and he was off the ballot in his first year. So, yeah.
1: did he, How many teams did he play for? He played for more than just Houston, right?
0: Yeah, he played on the Yankees uh, and then the Cardinals at the end of his career.
1: Yeah, okay, and that's the thing that Edgar has going for him, though. He's just one team consistently. Yeah, yeah. It's these, these guys that move around, they don't quite get the loyalty, the fans behind them. and They don't get the people running Twitter campaigns and stuff. Yeah. So that's one thing that Edgar always had. And also, I should point out, they named the designated hitter award after Edgar Martinez, so he <laughs> seems fairly significant. And this is a a joke that Mariner fans would always use. Like, everyone <laughs> would say, well, David Ortiz is going to be the first DH in the Hall of Fame. And I'll like, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense, because David Ortiz won a bunch of Edgar Martinez awards, and Edgar <laughs> Martinez never won an Edgar Martinez award. So I clearly can see why one would be over the other. Yeah. Although, but... let me say one thing. Here's a great argument that I always loved using for Edgar, and this will okay. sum yeah. up for people nicely. Do you know why Ken Griffey was so good and why he had such good stats on Seattle? Why was that? Because he had a better hitter hitting behind him. Oh That's yeah. why Griffey got so many pitches, because Edgar was scarier. Yeah, m- more fastballs. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, they would not pitch around Griffey because you did not want Griffey on first with Edgar because Edgar was a doubles machine. That's a run. I mean, Edgar would not only double Griffey, and now he's in scoring position. And so if you look look at the stats, like, per at-bat, Edgar was way more dangerous than Griffey as a hitter. Did you get a chance to check out the 95 Mariners uh,
0: documentary on MLB Network that aired a couple weeks ago?
1: I did not, and only because I don't have MLB Network. Oh, man. But... I will say I don't need to because I was there.
0: Yeah, you lived through it.
1: <laughs> I lived through it. I've written an essay about it. There's a very famous essay floating around on the internet called, I think it's Six Weeks That Changed My Life by Mario Lanza, which is all about all you need to know about the 95 Mariners and what a big deal it was. And I was right there. So I I did not see it, but I also don't feel like I have to.
0: I'll have to check that out.
1: <laughs> yeah. So can I say this? this uh, I'm not sure what, what how you introduced me here, but... Like, you know, Bill Simmons, right? Yeah. Who Bill Simmons spun yeah. Grantland and sports guy. When he started in back in the 90s, he was known as the Boston sports guy. That was his shtick. He was the guy, the expert on Boston sports. And I was one of his readers. I was his link of the day guy. We knew each other. He used to read my SNL and my survivor recaps. I'd read all his movie stuff and we talked to each other. And I thought he had a pretty good gig. I'm like, this guy has a great gig. He just writes about Boston sports and pop culture, and it's, it's a cool gig, and that's what I wanted to do. And so I started my writing career as I wanted to be the Seattle sports guy. So I actually tried to rip off his shtick and be the Seattle guy who was the expert on all things Seattle Mariners. So there's a little trivia fact. And my writing career did not last very long because nobody read a website on Mariners memories. But if there is anyone you need to talk to about Mariners history, I am your guy.
0: Okay, perfect. That's great. I did not mention that. Uh, I was going to leave that for you to mention. So perfect.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I am. I am very good at self-promotion. Thank you.
0: (laughs) When's When's the last time you were in contact with Bill Simmons?
1: Um, there was a point where we used to write quite a bit and then like you could write him an email and he would respond within like five minutes all the time. It was kind of cool. He was very interactive. And then when he got to ESPN, he got bought there and he went up to page two. He stopped being as accessible to his readers, especially his early readers. And a lot of his uh, fan base kind of revolted on that. They didn't like it. So he put out a, a little poll. He said, uh, uh, what do you think of me going to ESPN? Is that a good deal or a bad deal? Like, do you agree that some fans are mad that I'm not accessible anymore? And I remember writing him and saying, honestly, I can understand why a lot of your, feel- your fans' feelings are hurt because they can't just write you like they could before. It's good for you, but it's not as good for us. And he said, yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate that. And that's about the last time, that was like 2001 or two that I talked to him. Yeah, and because at a certain point he took the link, he took the he had a little link on his page. Click this to email me. He took that. It took that off because he had too many people emailing him. So I, I just kind of, I still follow him, but I don't really know him anymore or anything.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, he's made the move over to the Ringer, and he's bigger than ever now.
1: Yeah, I mean he's clearly gone on to bigger and better things. I doubt he'd even remember who I was, and I don't oh, think he man. should. yeah, but it's cool. <laughs> I know I, I'm happy for him, and uh, he had a good career. It's not the type of career that I would want. I, I I don't like being that famous. I like being kind of anonymous, but yeah, he is. I mean, the 30 for 30 stuff in particular, he, he oh, should go yeah. into the Sports Hall of Fame just for those. Those are amazing.
0: Yeah. So it seems like everyone wants to get in on the 30 for 30 game because MLB Network, as I mentioned, is releasing these documentaries. I have not gotten a chance to watch that one, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. And then I'll probably message you about uh, my thoughts on the team and read your essay.
1: Yeah, the 95 Mariners deserve a 30 for 30 because that was the single greatest baseball experience I will ever live through. Like the Mariners could win the next 20 World Series and it won't be as big a deal as that (laughs) because the first time is the one that's the big deal. And that one came out of nowhere. That was fun.
0: Yeah, it's so weird. I mean, uh, 2016 Cubs, man, that was just insane. That was Mm -hmm. Historical for everyone to watch. And now it's like when the Cubs aren't winning, everyone's just mad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's the thing. You kind of get spoiled. Yeah. And it's like, I I was, it was really funny. Like the Mariners won. I'll, I'll give people the history. I'm sure you don't know Seattle history like I do, but they started in 77 and they never had a winning season until I think 1991. It took 15 years for them to even break 500. And then in 95, they just all of a sudden pulled off this miraculous playoff berth that nobody saw coming. And they, like every game was more exciting than the one before. It It was like everything was a comeback. It was just crazy. And you kind of got spoiled after that. Like They were good the next five, six years, but I didn't even care that much. It was like, well, we're good now, so eventually we'll win something. And so like, I didn't even care that much about 2001 or 97, and then they've had a huge drought since then. But I've, I've always been able to bank this goodwill from 95 in my, in my memory so it doesn't bother me that much.
0: That's great. I mean, because it's been rough for you guys for the last 20 years.
1: It has, but you know what? I have 95, so who cares?
0: <laughs> True. <laughs> younger, good Mar- point.
1: Yeah. yeah younger Mar- Mariner fans hate that, by the way. They hate that attitude.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> were you able... To, so you, um, since you don't have MLB Network, you were, were not able to watch the induction ceremonies, or did you catch any of it
1: online or anything? Oh, yeah. No, I watched that. You can watch that for free on the website. Yeah, yeah. I watched Edgar's whole speech and, and all of them, and Harold Baines, I really liked his induction and I will just go on a little tangent here. I know yeah, go for people it. Aren't, aren't thrilled with him being in the Hall of Fame, but I'm like you. I, I think the Hall is should be bigger and anybody who gets in there, it's like an exciting thing because like he has fans and he's important to a city. So like I love that he's in there. I just think it's more important that more cities feel connected to the Hall of Fame and that was good for Chicago.
0: Yeah. Good point. I always forget about the South Side, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, you're a Cubs fan. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) I go to more Sox games than Cubs fans. Cubs games at this point though, because like you mentioned how ticket prices go up and everything when you're winning and you Mm -hmm. know, South Side, I mean, I could get free tickets from my buddy who works for a team, so I enjoy those games.
1: Okay. Yeah, I apologize. When I said Harold Baines, I meant Ryan Sandberg.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Perfect. So, yeah, oh, uh, any other thoughts from the induction?
1: Um, it's just, there's just a couple of interesting things about Edgar Martinez, and I will throw these out there. The, I'm not sure how well known this is. Do you know the handicap that Edgar overcame that made him, I mean, just, just the thing that he had to overcome to become a good hitter, do you know what it was? No, I don't. This is a big deal, and I'm surprised more people don't know this. His eyes don't line up. Edgar has a rare really? condition. He has a floating eye. His eyes do not focus together they work independently and he had to work for years to get his eyes to line up. Like he had these exercises. He would exercise his hour, his eyes for hours every day, just so they would focus to the level where he was like a normal human. And it was funny. I, I just read his autobiography and it talks about how dangerous it was because if his eyes, sometimes in the middle of an at bat, his eyes would disconnect. One would float off to the right and it was dangerous because he couldn't see the ball. He would have to duck out of the way. Gosh, he overcame that. He had to work that hard just to get 2020 vision. And they said in his Hall of Fame speech, it was really important to him because he's not a natural English speaker. So he had to memorize the speech and he had to read it. And as a, spe- as a speaker, you're supposed to look down and look up when you're talking to people and direct your, your, your words at them. But Edgar can't do that because the minute he takes his eyes off the paper, his eyeballs detach. So he cannot look up and down like a normal speaker. So I just, I just wanted to point that out to people how amazing it is that this guy even played in the majors at all, let alone you know became one of the greatest hitters of his generation.
0: Yeah, I'm glad we're doing this right now because there are a lot of young people are listening and they're gonna have a greater appreciation for his career.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, my mom's favorite player. Ever, I've never heard a person say a bad word about edgar martinez even when he was playing they're like this guy's the greatest he would star in these commercials in seattle and they were so unintentionally funny because he's not really interesting (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen there's one where he he makes a light bat and yeah it's just everyone quotes these commercials and they're just unintentionally fun
0: (laughs) well I was hearing him talk and that was the first time I had heard him talk when he gave his speech and I mean I know he came here from Puerto Rico but he Mm -hmm. sounded a little like a robot the way his like tone that he was speaking in
1: yeah he's just a non-native speaker and he's very humble and he does not like the spotlight and he just is not comfortable with attention that's just he's just a he's like a regular dude it's so interesting that he is the face of the franchise that is so unassuming it's just kind of perfect
0: yeah that is perfect did you have another one you were going to share about him
1: oh gosh what can i (laughs) so many (laughs) things i could say about edgar because yeah he's our guy like i don't really love ken griffey and i know that's kind of a blasphemous to say but i was always (laughs) kind of bitter about the way he left seattle Do you know about that whole story? You might be too young.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know he he forced his way through trade, right, to Cincinnati. And, like, I don't remember him playing in a Mariners uniform. I've seen (laughs) the old tapes. I remember I had the DVD as a kid that had every home run derby from, like, 91 to 2001 on Mm -hmm. a DVD tape. And was it 91 that he hit it over the
1: warehouse? I think, I think that's the, I don't remember the specific, but that sounds about right in Baltimore.
0: Yeah, so I remember, I saw, So I I mean, I saw Prime Griffey, I've seen tape of it, and Mm -hmm. he was phenomenal. But uh, it's just kind of sad, because most of my memories of him as a player were when he was injured in Cincinnati. Okay.
1: Yeah, he, of course, Seattle's, they would say first superstar. He wasn't really our first superstar, our first real stars in Seattle. We had this guy, Rupert Jones, in the late 70s. And then in the mid 80s, you had Mark Langston and Alvin Davis, who were like pretty good. So they were the first stars we had. But then in 88, 89, then Griffey shows up. And he's like the first person who's famous outside Seattle. He's the first player that people of other cities care about. And he was really good. And we had him and we had Randy Johnson, you know, Jay Buhner, Edgar Martinez. They all kind of came up together and they all peaked at the same time. And then it was the thing where Griffey was kind of petulant would be the word. And he was always beloved, but you'd always see these stories in the paper. He would gripe that they didn't have enough pictures. And he's like, you know, why why aren't you going to go out and get me my pictures? And like, you wouldn't see the other players do this, but because Griffey was so famous, he could kind of get away with it. And he would start, you know, I need pictures or I'm going to leave. You better do this or I'm going to leave. So he was always, he was always felt like he was kind of holding the Mariners hostage. And it happened, it was like that for the last couple years he was there until I forget, what was the year 98, 99? i i will never forget this because it was just nasty just he said basically i'm leaving now you guys he didn't like the owners they, he wasn't happy with where the team was going and he said trade me i want to go to the east coast i want to go closer to my family and seattle worked out a trade at a certain point where griffey was going to the mets this was the deal he was going to go to new york he was going to be a big star there and i think we were going to get uh who were we going to get uh Cedeno, the center fielder I kind of forget but it was a big blockbuster trade and it was all worked out and then Griffey vetoed it he said no I'm not going there and so I believe they tried to work out a trade to the Dodgers and we were going to get Hideo Nomo in the return and Griffey said no he said I'm only going to Cincinnati here's the team you must trade me to that's it that's the only one I will accept it to I've
0: never heard anyone want to go to Cincinnati that badly
1: yeah well I mean his <laughs> dad's from there and he's from there so yeah, that's, that's his home true. yeah so But it was one of these things where he dictated the trade and the Mariners were totally bent over a barrel. Like, we could only accept Cincinnati's demands. Like, we had no leverage in that trade. Griffey could basically demand the return that he wanted. And we ended up getting Brett Tomko, Mike Cameron, uh, a couple other people I kind of forget. And it was only a miracle that Mike Cameron ended up being really good in Seattle. Like, to the point I think he actually outproduced Griffey for a couple years there when Griffey was hurt.
0: Yeah, I believe that.
1: That trade should have crippled Seattle. It's amazing that it didn't because Mike Cameron somehow ended up being really good.
0: Yeah, he, he had a good career. I remember that game where there was a guy, the heckler, where he made the bet for the... He said, if I hit a home run, you're going to leave. And the guy says, <laughs> sure.
1: And th- You remember this story? I do. Yeah, that's a great story. I want to hear you tell it, though.
0: Yeah, so uh, <laughs> a lot of people, young people listening might not know this, but there was this guy, Mike Cameron. Uh, he was a very good player. And there was this heckler who was sitting behind him. Uh, He was playing for the Mariners at the time, right?
1: I believe so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was either then or when he went to the Mets. But this heckler just would not leave him alone. And so while he's in the on on deck circle, he says, "Look, guy, like if I hit a home run, you're gonna leave the park." Or I don't know if the heckler said that. That's what how it was gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And he hits a home run, and then he comes back, and the guy's still there. And then the heckler says, "Oh." I thought it was two home runs. So then Mike Cameron hits a second home run, and the guy just stays there and he never leaves.
1: Oh. That story's so much better without the ending. <laughs> there was a similar one with Randy Johnson, but I think it went Randy Johnson said, I'm going to throw this ball at you as hard as I can, and I'm going to kill you or you're <laughs> going to leave. <laughs> No, yeah, Mike Cameron was great. He showed up in Seattle, and again, he's supposed to replace Ken Griffey Jr., which nobody could do, and like there was all this pressure on him. And I think in like his third or fourth game, he robbed Derek Jeter of a home run. He jumped over the fence and snagged it in Safeco Field, and it was like this biggest thing ever. So yeah, like I've he seen won the catch. fans over. Yeah, he won the fans over right away, and it was one of those things that, yeah, Mike Cameron was great. People loved him, but there has always been some lingering anger towards griffey towards some old school mariner fans and younger fans wouldn't know this but yeah it's i do not really love him so i don't really like it really didn't mean anything to me when he got into the hall of fame edgar's a whole different story
0: and i know you're a big norm mcdonald fan so do you remember the did you ever see the clip of him and will ferrell at the sbs where they're bashing griffey
1: I have seen several clips of Norm at the SDS. I don't remember this one specifically, but now I'm dying to hear it. Please please tell me about this one.
0: <laughs> so Will Ferrell comes out as Harry Carey, and they told him, dude, you can't make these jokes. And the first joke was, he said, John El- John Elway, you just won the Super Bowl. How about going crazy and go and get your teeth fixed of yours? <laughs>
1: Was that Norm or was that Harry Carey?
0: These were all Harry Carey. And Norm's just kind of like, oh, no, Harry, come on. (laughs) So then the second one, he said, uh, congratulations, Tiger Woods. You're now the, no, he says you're the fourth greatest black golfer in the history of the world. Tiger's laughing at that one. He likes that one. Elway looks pissed at (laughs) that joke. And then he says, Ken Griffey Jr., you're half the ball player your dad ever was. And Griffey looks so mad.
1: (laughs) I love that. I have to find that clip. Yeah. (laughs) I've seen those. I've seen Norm wreak havoc on the ESPYs before where everyone's like, he starts making OJ jokes. like, Oh, Thurman Thomas. Now you're going to try to break the record, killing two wives to break OJ's record. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, Griffey's a very complicated subject for Mariners fans. But yeah, it's, I, I do enjoy seeing him being angered at SB Awards. <laughs> and so that's what makes
0: Edgar's induction all that much sweeter. So I got one fact about Edgar. You may not know this, actually. Okay. Um, did you ever play backyard baseball? Because I know that game came out of Seattle.
1: I played the game of baseball in the backyard, but I don't <laughs> okay. know specifically what you're talking about. Is that a video game?
0: There was a computer game that came out in 1997 called Backyard Baseball. Huh. And it, it these were all these cartoon kids, and they made it Sandlot-ish. And it's a very very fun game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a game I grew up with. Well, in the game, the championship is played in the Colossal Dome, which is basically the uh, remodeled after the King Dome. Oh, good. (laughs) And then uh, the best player in the game is this guy named Pablo Sanchez, and they modeled his swing after Edgar Martinez.
1: All right. Respect. That was even 97. Wow. So even back then, people realized how good he was.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it was the 95 Mariners were so influential in this game because this came out of Seattle. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> has anyone ever pointed out the 95 mariners had no pitching whatsoever <laughs> it's funny I, I have all these baseball simulators and i, I you know I, I for years ever since i was a kid i would re rerun historical leagues and fantasy leagues and simulations and the 95 the Mariners, what
0: if sports
1: yeah it's well i used uh one called lance hafner baseball i've used diamond mine baseball i've used uh uh, micro League Baseball, all sorts of simulators over there. There's a one called SBS, which you can download for free, which is really cool. I use that all the time, even to this day. But the 95 Mariners are terrible. I never play them in leagues, because they have Randy <laughs> Johnson, and that's it. They have no pitchers beyond him. <laughs> they just get dusted. They get dusted by teams <laughs> like the 91 Twins. Are, they own the 95 Mariners, because the 91 Twins are balanced, and they have yeah, pitching. Jack Morris. Yeah, they have Tappany. Tappany's better than almost anybody on the Mariners' yeah. staff. Yeah.
0: Speaking of Randy Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, his former teammate, Kurt Schilling, is still not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'll let you weigh in on Schilling's career and if you think he should be a Hall of Famer in a second. But I just, as you mentioned, Randy Johnson carrying that pitching staff, I just thought about that old one Diamondbacks team where it was mm-hmm. just those two guys and how they just willed that team to a championship. It was insane.
1: Yeah. You know what the greatest thing about the 2001 Diamondbacks is? They beat the Yankees. And then the Diamondbacks ruined their hopes in the World Series, which is the greatest thing that has ever happened.
0: So, <laughs> so what do you think? Uh, I'm gonna add, I want to let you weigh in on Schilling, and then I want to move over to some of these other topics in the game of baseball today. What do you think about Schilling?
1: Um, with Schilling, it's kind of a no-brainer, because he's going to be in the Hall of Fame at some point. I mean, you look at the Red Sox game that he won with the Bloody sock. Yeah. like That's an iconic, iconic event, and that was a really big deal in sports. So, you know, there's, you know, Twitter nonsense and outrage about him now, whatever. That'll go away. Twitter, like, internet outrage is temporary. Legacy lives forever. One day, Kurt Schilling will be in just on that game alone, and it doesn't matter. It's like, it doesn't matter when he's going to get in, he's going to be in. That's how I look at it.
0: Well, I sure hope so because
1: he deserves it. He's a great pitcher. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. He was a great pitcher and he has that iconic moment. He's got the double whammy. He's got the stats. He's got the he's got every argument other than people just don't like him, like people that vote for the Hall of Fame don't like him. So the answer to that is, well, you just wait until people that do like him start voting and then it'll change.
0: Yeah, they're going to change it. I think it's either next year and two years where. You will only need ten years of baseball writing experience as opposed to fifteen. Did you hear yeah. about this?
1: I did not, but I love that because I think the old I think the old school writers have always had too much power in that process, and you need a lot more new blood, and you need more analytic people that like that would be, vote someone like Edgar in. Be young yeah. people who understand stats. Look at Edgar and like this is a no brainer. Like this guy, like is ridiculous. Look at his per at- bat ratio and how how productive he was. It's crazy.
0: All right. Well, that's a good place to. Finish up on the Hall of Fame conversation, if that's cool with you.
1: Um. Yeah, I think I'm good with that. There's no more Mariners that are going to be in the Hall of Fame. Ichiro will get in there eventually. Yeah. I'm not super attached to Ichiro. He was always a little distant for me. He was never, he's kind of a weird player. And like, if you ever run him in sim leagues and stuff, he's not actually that productive a hitter. He's just a singles mm. hitter. So he's one of these guys, he's going to get in the Hall of Fame, but it won't really affect me all that much. Felix Hernandez one day, there might be an argument for him. I don't personally think he's going to be in there, but there is something to be said for him staying with the same team his entire career, and he might get some loyalty points. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure how that's going to go.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate that like his career, I mean, he's only what, like 33 now? (laughs) Yeah,
1: he's 33 with about 28 years of pitching experience on his arm. (laughs) Yeah, he came up when he was 19. I think it came up when he was seven, actually, if I recall. <laughs> yeah, no, he was not, it's astounding that a pitcher comes up at 19 in this day and age. Like, yeah. you wouldn't see that much anymore. But, yeah, he when he was 25, he had so many innings on his arm, and he was the only guy even making that team watchable for like a decade. I remember when
0: he hit that grand slam, too.
1: <laughs> yes. It's, he To this day, I believe he says that's the highlight of his career. That's his number <laughs> one moment. Not the perfect game. It's the grand slam he hit off uh, the lefty, Santana, on the Mets.
0: Oh yeah, Johan Santana.
1: That's right, and that is also considered the low light of Johan Santana's career.
0: <laughs> I was thinking probably the injuries that kind of shortened his career because he was a great pitcher before that. But yeah, yeah, it's possible.
1: But giving up a grand slam to an American League pitcher probably stings. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right, Mario, I want to get, I want to have you weigh in on some of the hot button topics around the game today. So let's talk about juiced baseballs. We okay. know they're juiced, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, almost all the great eras in baseball over the last thirty years were kind of juiced eras. I would assume. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, mean, I'm assuming they're juiced now, and I think it's good for the sport. I thought it was good in '87. I thought it was good in the '90s. I don't. To me, it's not really. I don't really care about the balance between pitchers and hitters. It's. I think it's always more exciting to have good hitters, and it goes right back to the steroid era, like everyone says how terrible it was. Oh, it's a shame that everyone cheated. I'm like, that was like the most popular era in baseball history. And that's kind of what saved baseball after the strike. So I don't. I wouldn't come down on it too much. So I think, yeah, it's probably juice now. And I don't really mind because I think it's more exciting for people to be honest.
0: Yeah, you know, I would prefer I just like the game with more singles and doubles and action in the field Mm -hmm. that that I think I'd like to see a little more balance between power and contact hitting. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel I feel like that is missing a little bit today. But I mean, here's the thing. I love baseball. I'm going to watch it either way. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. It's. Although it's it's the the balls are probably juiced. And I don't like you said. I don't think there's any debate over that. But it's also just you know batter approach these days. Like everyone's yeah. concerned with launch angle, and you know it's more important to get the top the with the backspin. I would forget the spin, but like there's just smarter hitters that study this stuff more than people would in the past. So I don't think it's just the ball.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more just guys who just hit home runs. They go for launch angle. They strike out a lot, and we were seeing it last year too, where. Yeah. We had the dip in home runs, but we got more strikeouts as a result. So,
1: yeah, it's it's a really uh, interesting mindset change over baseball, how strikeouts are not considered embarrassing anymore. And that (laughs) is really like a really big change from when I started playing and growing up. You know, I played all the way through like American Legion and like you you strike out. That's like the worst. You remember that all day. I hated strikeouts. They were the worst. But it's really interesting how the mindset has changed. That's just not a thing anymore.
0: There's still something that gets me mad when I'm watching when watching a guy because I'm just like, man, you can when you put the ball in play, especially in the playoffs, mm-hmm. crazy stuff happens. Tony Graffinino, Buckner, you know, you name mm-hmm. it, where the ball just takes a weird bounce or whatever. When you strike out, there's zero percent chance of anything good happening.
1: I agree. But you could also flip that around and say, if you don't strike, if you strike out, you can't hit into a double play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a mindset either way. I just, even if I were to still play, I don't play. I'm 45. I don't play anymore. <laughs> but I would still, with two strikes, choke up and try to hit it to right. Just because that's just how, that's my mindset. I, I do not like striking out.
0: I know a guy who's 65 is still playing.
1: <laughs> is it Ichiro? Ichiro,
0: right? <laughs> I wish I knew Ichiro. He'd be, he'd be a great guest if he yeah. spoke English.
1: <laughs> you know, the good thing about the, the ball being juiced is like, right now the Seattle Mariners are almost unwatchable. They're terrible. But it is exciting to see all the home runs that our pitchers give up and how far they go with a juiced ball. Yeah. So it's, wow, we're going to get a 480 foot home run from some guy in the Rangers. <laughs> so that's something to look forward to as a Mariners fan right now. It's very exciting. That's a good
0: point. All right, let's go to the next one. What do you think about potential. Extending the stadium netting down to the foul poles. Where, where do you where do you weigh in? What side are you on on that debate?
1: 100% in favor of extending the net. If one person gets hurt or killed by a ball, that's too much. That should never happen ever. So I have no problem whatsoever with extending that net. And I will say this as someone who, when I was a kid, we usually would sit in the Kingdom in the right field bleachers. My dad liked going out there because they had TVs. You could watch it on TV or the action. Yeah. But every so often we'd get good seats and we'd go sit down behind home plate or along the first baseline. And as a six, seven, eight year old kid, I was terrified. I was so scared of that ball gonna hit me in the face. I, I was I was terrified every single minute we were anywhere near that, that those that section of the field. So I do not think any fan or you know a mom who doesn't pay attention to the game or a kid should sit in fear that they might get hurt so i understand the purest argument for you should not block people's view with the netting and i don't care i don't think it's valid at all i don't think people should ever be scared at a baseball game
0: the netting thing i thought i was going to dislike it more i went to a game last year because they extended it up to Mm -hmm. the uh past the dugouts and it really does not change your view of the
1: game. <laughs> no, it makes no difference other than it maybe it might be a little harder to get autographs, which I think yeah. might be the issue. People want direct access to the players. And, you know, screw you. You don't deserve that. <laughs> like, so, yeah, it's, the netting makes no difference. How many times have you gone to a hockey game and you sit there watching a game through plexiglass? You don't even notice it.
0: It's
1: <laughs> a good point. So I think safety. Safety is the only thing I think that should be a concern.
0: If you want autographs, go to spring training because they're not signing for you during the season. Spring training, they're everywhere. Go to practice. It's great.
1: Yeah, I mean, in Angel Stadium, you go down to the right field bleachers. There's a very low wall, and the players will always go down there around the foul pole and sign. Like, There's places to get autographs. You don't have to hang out right next to the dugout. If they want to sign for you, they'll make themselves available, and you can go to them. That's how I yeah. look at it.
0: Yeah, good point. I think my, my viewpoint on the stadium netting thing is I don't think that Major League Baseball should just put in one rule that says everyone has to do this. I kind of like it being judged on a ballpark-by-ballpark basis because not all ballparks are created equally. Some ballparks have bigger, um, more seating in areas where you might get hit in foul territory, where Wrigley does not have a whole lot of seats out in the foul area. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just kind of something that you let the let the teams decide because they have to manage a business. They have to make sure it's going to be okay with their uh, season ticket holders. That's where I stand. I think it should just be treated on a case-by-case basis. You can do whatever you want if you run the business.
1: Oh, I agree with that. I don't think baseball should be dictating. Yeah, you like you said, it's not one-size-fits-all. Like Oakland, they hit a foul ball, and it won't even get to the stands for like a minute and a half if that foul <laughs> territory is so big. <laughs> So, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's it's one size fits all. Let the team and the stadium determine it. But I do strongly, strongly feel that the stadium should always err on the side of safety, because if one person gets hurt, that's one person too many.
0: Yep. All right, let's see. I got a nice list here of uh, these hot button topics. Where what do you think about a potential pitch clock?
1: Um, if they feel the need to put that in, like if they've done the research and they realize fans want that, I don't have a problem with it. I don't really care one way or another. I think it's silly that fans need that, but the world is also a lot different now than it was in the 80s just with attention spans and stuff. And I've even noticed this This isn't like me making fun of millennials. I just only recently got my first phone. I never even had a cell phone until like a year ago. And I have noticed my attention span has gone down so drastically just the minute I owned a phone. <laughs> So it's like that's just the way society is. People have short attention spans. They want stuff to be happening all the time. So if the research has been done and they've realized that this would make more the sport more attractive to people, I'm fine with it. I'm not that big a purist. I don't really care. But, yeah, it's I, I, I don't I don't know why they need it. But if they have determined they need it, I don't have a problem with it.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you on this one. I mean, when I go to a baseball game, I never want it to go fast. I want to stay there as long as possible Mm because I'm just having the time of my life. I'm having so much fun. It's great. Um, But the one thing I will say, I do think the whole attention spans for millennials might be a little bit of an overrated take just because I think young people consume information. They just do it in different ways. Like, if you look at I know you're a podcaster, if you look at the podcast analytics, the biggest demographic is eighteen to thirty. And those yeah. are all people who are listening to two and a half hour podcasts, whereas I know a lot of people who are over fifty and they're like, oh, I listen to two minutes of your podcast. You talk too <laughs> long.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's just different, yeah, you're right. It's different ways of assimilating info. and it's not there's not one that's better than the other, but, clearly baseball will have to market its sport towards a different generation of fans now than they're used to so it's the pitch clock will be hardly the only thing that's going to be thrown in there
0: yeah we got a lot of things i do not like the
1: intentional walk uh thing do you like that i mean i don't really care one way or another it's i was even surprised that was an issue (laughs) but it's kind of funny like i have mackie sasser disease you know what mackie sasser disease is i do not This is where you have a mental block where you can't throw the ball to someone in a pressure situation because you're so worried you're going to throw it over them that you will inevitably throw it over them. And I learned this when I – this is a catcher. He was in the, the Mets back in the 80s, and he all of a sudden could not throw the ball back to the pitcher one day. He developed a mental block. He's like, I'm going to throw it over the pitcher. I'm going to throw it over the pitcher. And it started repeating over his head so much, he started to throw the ball over the pitcher. He, like, would psych himself out. And I have that as well. I learned that when I played Little League, or when I coached Little League. I cannot pitch the ball to a little kid. I will, I'm <laughs> thinking so hard. I don't want to walk this kid. I don't want to walk him. I don't want to strike him out that I will inevitably bounce or fling every pitch over his head. So... It's. I love the, the implied intentional walk is great because it helps people with Mackie Sasser disease. They don't have to throw that ball. To, so. But otherwise, I don't really care one way or another. Why do you feel so strongly about it?
0: Well, I just kind of feel like you're losing. Not that an intentional walk is that great of an action, but I mean, there are college games that I've watched because I watch college baseball sometimes. There was a game that you had, I think it was first and second They're trying to intentionally walk this guy and it's in the ninth inning. The go ahead run or the winning run is on third base and they throw a wild pitch when they're trying to intentionally walk a guy. And so I kind of feel like I just, I don't know, I'd like, I'd like to see it play out more. I just think it's kind of dumb that it's like Jerry Seinfeld was going off on a tangent about this on the Rich Eisen show where he's kind of like, how much time are you saving with this? (laughs) (laughs) You save like 30 seconds.
1: I mean, I don't think, personally, any game should end on a wild pitch on an intentional walk. I think that's kind of a BS way for yeah, a, a game to end. But fair point. I will say things are possible during an intentional walk. There's a famous story back in the World Series in the 70s where the Oakland A's were going to intentionally walk Johnny Bench. And, uh, you know, they they, kept, they held their uh, hand out. And Raleigh Fingers wound up. And they fooled him. And they threw it right down the middle and struck him out because he wasn't ready for it. Yeah. So, There is stuff like that. And I will say, the greatest baseball game of all time. Are you familiar with the Bad News Bears, my favorite baseball movie?
0: I haven't seen it, but I know about it.
1: Yes. The final scene in that game, my friend, is (laughs) the Bears slugger, Kelly Leak, is up to the plate. And the other team's manager, Roy Turner, decides, we're just going to walk him. He's the greatest hitter in the league. We're never going to pitch to him and so they intentionally walk him. But Coach Morris Buttermaker tells Kelly Leak, Just reach out and hit it. Just reach across the plate and hit it. And he does, and it leads to one of the great endings in movie history being on an intentional walk scene. So (laughs) you lose the chance for
0: that. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch that and then listen to a Staff Picks episode. You've done one on that one, right?
1: Yeah, I did Staff Picks with Thunder Dan from Thunder (laughs) D from Survivor Pearl Islands, the guy who lied about Johnny Fairplay's dead grandma. (laughs) He loves the Bad News Bears. I had him on there. He was completely drunk. And we had a very interesting podcast of me trying to cover for a very drunk Thunder D. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: So, um, yeah. And then I remember Miggy Cabrera used to I used to see him reach out and hit those sometimes. I think he hit a home run one time.
1: Yeah. So that's the argument that things can happen on an intentional walk. So I can see that argument.
0: Yeah. I just kind of think it's like if the whole idea is we're trying to save time, like that's not
1: going to save you much time. only millennial kids will get this (laughs) yeah no it's yeah you're saving a couple seconds top it's big deal although you can make the argument well it's four less pitches the pitcher has to throw but like how hard is he throwing those pitches
0: yeah that's true exactly so do
1: those do those count as part of the pitch count i think
0: they did yeah they do or yeah they did so that that protects pitch counts i
1: guess it does. So just the, <laughs> if a team's intentionally walking like nine guys in a game, your pitcher just saved 36 pitches. So that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> the intentional walk manager just walks somebody you're <laughs> forgetting. So uh, let's go
0: to the next one. How about robo-umps, which is the electronic strike zone where we don't, maybe we have an ump there and he just tells us what it, what it looked like, what it read when it got, went through there. What do you think about robo-umps? <laughs>
1: That's an interesting one, because I have long thought that umpires have way too much personal control over a game based on their mood. And it's just one of those things that everybody accepted for many years. Oh, the pitcher showed up the umpire, so he's not going to get any strikes. I'm like, well, why is that okay? Why are we <laughs> cool with the umpire just having grudges? And it was just accepted that that's cool. So taking the hands out of the, you know, the control out of the umpire to control the outcome of the game, I think is a good idea. But at the same time, just going very clinical based on balls and strikes on a computer, I think, seems kind of weird. So I'm kind of torn on this one. It's like I'm, it's not going to kill me either way. I would think if they do go robo ump, I'll think it's silly and I'll make fun of it. But I'll kind <laughs> of accept it, like understand why it happened. But at the same time, if your team loses, like I know Seattle just lost a game about a week ago. Our pitcher, Marco Gonzalez, had a called third strike on a guy. The ump didn't call it. It was clearly, I mean, StatCast said, clearly showed it was a strike. Then the next pitch, the guy gives up a three-run home run, and the the gates unravel. And it's infuriating to lose a game like that. So I can kind of see this.
0: Yeah, here's the thing with the robo-umps. If we get rid of them, we're not going to have the same kind of meltdowns from the managers, and those are pretty fun. (laughs)
1: I want to see Lou Piniella, like, unplugging cords and stuff. <laughs> Damn it, <laughs> kicking dirt all over the processor.
0: Piniella, oh my gosh, he was great. Yeah,
1: you can see all my references are 1990s references, because I have no idea what happened since about 2000.
0: <laughs> well, and he, in the 2000s, I mean, I saw him with the Rays, well, they were the Devil Rays, and then he managed the Cubs. And there was <laughs> wow. one time where he just blew up, and it was the greatest thing ever.
1: Yeah. Like, <laughs> He's got like a virus on a little uh, flash drive and he's inserting it into the computer. Like, screw you. I'm going to bring down your CPU. This is a Trojan.
0: I don't like the robo-umps. I do like the human element of the game. There is a little bit of charm there. I understand the frustration. I do kind of like some... One thing I kind of like, and I know a lot of people don't like this. If you don't like this, I understand. But I kind of like how some umps have different tendencies, where as long as they're calling it the same way, that's kind of interesting to me. That's kind of neat. But I understand why people might not like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's historically baseball. This guy's a pitcher's ump, this guy's a hitter's ump. And you know that, and everyone just tries to work around that. And I'm cool with that. Yeah. So, yeah, the, I can see arguments both ways. I I assume they will go to robo-umps at some point, And I know they've already tried in some minor league parks, I believe. Yeah. I think that's where we're headed. So I think people just have to make peace with it.
0: Okay, what do you think about this new pitching change rule that will be Im- implemented next year, which is a pitcher needs to face
1: three guys before he can come out of the game? Yeah, that one I just think is stupid. That's just catering to the short attention span crowd. Like, Admittedly, I don't go to a lot of games. I prefer to watch baseball on TV than go to the park for the most part. Like, We don't go to very many games, so it doesn't bother me when I see these pitching changes because they're like during commercials and I can do other stuff. But I know people that go to games all the time just get, you know, fed up with these constant parade of pitching changes at the end. I don't know. I don't personally think it's fair to the pitchers because you've had these guys that come up being like lefty specialists and that's all they've been trained to do for 20 years. And now they're expected to face like, you know, Frank Thomas and these right handers. Like, I don't (laughs) think that's really cool. So just from that perspective, I think it's silly and I just think it's. I just think it's over-complicating and over ruleifying baseball. I, I don't like this one at all. I don't think they should do this one.
0: It's one that I can tolerate, um, but I don't like it, I will say. Um, yeah. be- because the one thing I will say is no one really watches the game because they're just like, I just want to keep seeing Joe Madden come out there and mm-hmm. watch, okay, here here comes the lefty, here comes the righty. But the problem I see with this isn't the pitching changes. It's all the commercials. I think if you left if they didn't go to commercial every time and you just watch the guy warm up mm-hmm. while your broadcasters are keeping you entertained, like i I think people would accept that a lot more. Yeah. But obviously, there's money
1: involved. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, but I also think it's a fool's game to think MLB will find a way to bring in less revenue. <laughs> yeah, but the, that's the thing that's interesting, though, because there
0: will be less pitching changes if this is the case.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is another one like the Robo-Ump. I think it's coming, and I think people will just have to make peace with it, whether they like it or not. I think this is where, unfortunately, baseball and the current market for baseball wants it to go.
0: Did you hear about stealing first? This was one that came up about two weeks ago.
1: No. what's Is that like a drop third strike?
0: Yeah. Only yeah. you could go at any time
1: wait after any pitch
0: well it would have to be a pass ball or a wild pitch but yeah you could just take off
1: on a an one count wow that's gonna make little league a lot harder (laughs) (laughs) damn (laughs) i've never even heard of that that's they're proposing that that you can just anytime the ball gets past the catcher you can just bolt for first yeah why
0: i i think this is one that they're saying like this is a way we could get some kind of small ball action or more action or something.
1: Is this a problem that people aren't stealing first enough and the fans are (laughs) clamoring for? I've never heard of this until right now. Wow. This, this seems just stupid.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It goes against baseball. It's one that wouldn't bother me too much because I think it would bring a little value to the Billy Hamilton's of the world. Um, (laughs) And I don't think it'll impact the game too much because like the big hitters are never gonna be like, Oh, yeah, I'm gonna go for first. They're they're gonna wanna hit.
1: (laughs) I can see a scenario where like uh you know, the big slugger Mike Trout's up there, and they're just bouncing balls in the dirt trying to make him (laughs) steal first. (laughs) Dare you dare you to steal first. I don't know, this just seems ridiculous. This is this is just adding a rule, just adding a new feature, just to add a feature. This, Like the whole point of stealing first is that the pitcher and catcher, the contract that between them has been broken. Someone broke the out or broke the cycle, and now the pitcher gets to go to first because someone screwed up. It just, this is like a, it's a premature breaking of the cycle between the pitcher and catcher.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It, they could never implement it into Little League. That would never <laughs> work.
1: <laughs> no you would that's the third yeah all you need is the best catcher in the league and you'd win every game if you have not the best catcher you'll just be stealing first constantly
0: oh my goodness yeah some of those kids they can't catch the ball and it gets really ugly
1: I wouldn't say some, I would say most. <laughs> yeah. Little league coaching Little League is one of the most painful things. I not only coached Little League, I was our league's player agent, which is the guy who runs the league. I'm in charge of which kid is on which team. You run the draft. You make sure the teams don't get stacked, because coaches and parents are always trying to get around the system. So I very familiar with Little League and that would that would end Little League. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so too. All right, let's see. Um what do you think about the let's let the kids play uh, slogan? Do you like it? Do you? How do you feel about it?
1: Just for the slogan, I haven't heard of that one. I haven't really been following.
0: So that's mm-hmm. the that's the new motto for Major League Baseball. It's let the kids play, and basically they're marketing it around this <laughs> idea of pro bat flip. Um, you know, oh. do whatever you want to do. And th- I just think the saying sounds kind of dumb because it. I've heard some of these guys who are like, "I'm a 33 year old man. I'm not a kid." <laughs> like. <laughs>
1: yeah it's okay i didn't realize that with this yeah i uh, at first i thought this was like a collusion thing like the owners we would like very lots of cheap players out there and no expensive veterans so let's not sign the veterans that's where i thought we were going with this because i could see that happening um i love the idea of letting the kids play i think it's, it's baseball has always been way too stodgy and way too not fun to watch and if people are out there you know showboating and doing you know home run dances i personally love it but I will also say I was there in the early 90s, mid 90s, when Griffey started wearing his hat backwards. I don't know if you remember this or yeah. you know about this. Yeah, I know about this. Yeah, he'd wear his hat backwards. And the other managers like Earl Weaver and Sparky Anderson were like furious. They're like, how dare you do that <laughs> on our field? Like They were like telling people, openly saying people should be drilling Griffey because he would dare wear his hat backwards. So I have seen this from the other extreme where no one's allowed to to do anything fun ever. I personally would err in the direction of I would like to see people having fun on baseball, and I don't think there's any problem with it.
0: So my my one takeaway when it comes to bat flips and everything is basically, look, let the guys express themselves however they want, but also let the Madison Bumgarners of the world express themselves too. Oh, as, yeah. lo- as long as they're not throwing at guys' heads. I mean, if you're throwing at a guy and you're just hitting him on the rump, like... Just be. I think it's basically like have some respect, and if you go over the top because the line is ambiguous at the moment, we're we're all trying to figure this out. If you go over the top and they determine that, be ready for what might come your way. But if yeah. they're if they're going inside and at your elbow, they're going at your head. Then that's clearly unacceptable.
1: I don't think players should be out there mocking and embarrassing each other. Like if you hit a home run off a pitcher, you shouldn't be able to walk up to him and point at him and laugh at him. Like that's that's going a little far. But I see no problem with just you know a bat flip, a hands up in the air. I don't see a problem with that at all. But it's baseball is an emotional sport, and the pitcher has a deadly weapon in his hand, and there's a code that if you anger one team you're expected to throw at the other team it's uh, there's a lot it's a lot more complicated than that so I can kind of see but personally I would love to quote unquote let the kids play
0: <laughs> there you go you got it you got a new slogan now yeah.
1: That is also very similar to the slogan they used in the second Bad News Bears movie, my friend, where what they said, that? let them play, oh. because the Bad News Bears were not wearing a game in the Astrodome, and the umpires came out and called it before the game was over, and my coach, Mike Lee, got the crowd to start chanting, let them play. So if this if this ties into the Bad News Bears in some way, I'm, I'm for it.
0: So the thing that's interesting about let the kids play, and it's, it's a transitional moment right now in baseball, because... I think we're all kind of figuring out what those boundaries are, what guys can get away with, what they should not be able to get away with. But I think that, and here's the thing I'm, as I mentioned, I'm all for doing whatever you want, just being ready for what you might have to answer for. As long as that isn't in the, as long as you're not getting thrown in the head, because that, that should not happen. Um, But here's what I think. I think the unwritten rules of baseball are actually interesting whether people realize it or not because here's the thing Mario I don't know if did you ever hear about when Tim Anderson the White Sox shortstop hit the big home run chucked his bat and then got thrown at his next at bat this
1: was in of May yeah. yeah I mean yeah I saw that
0: yeah so about 10 minutes after he got thrown at on the MLB Twitter network, uh, Twitter account they're showing the highlight of him getting thrown at and the mm-hmm. benches being cleared. I think the league sees this as something that brings interest in when they have these kind of battles mm-hmm. and dust ups. And I
1: do think they're interesting too. I don't think there's any dispute about that. I love a good base brawl. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite Mariner game I've ever been to that wasn't the 95 playoffs was in 1989 or 90. I kind of forget what year. We had a big brawl with the Milwaukee Brewers. And it was like the biggest brawl I've ever seen. It went on for like 20 minutes. There was like seven different fights. And it was like over an entire series. They just kept there. Every game had multiple brawls. and It was like the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. So there's without a question that people like base brawls, even though they won't admit it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And there, there are some people who are like... Man, if a guy throws at a guy uh in the back or in the butt or whatever that he should get suspended for like 40 games. I think that's really overreactionary.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. It's uh it's kind of self-policing in a way. That's the thing. It, it looks like it's violent people throwing at each other, but in truth it's really like, you know, nuclear deterrence. That's the whole thing with with, you know, America and Russia arming themselves that they it was a mutually assured destruction. And the fact that everyone had all these arms kept war from happening. So that's kind of the thing. If pitchers have that weapon in their arsenal, they could start throwing at your batter. Your pitcher probably is going to be honest. So it's, it's kind of, it's a much more of a gray area than people think it is.
0: Yeah. One thing I like about national league baseball is the fact that pitchers then have to answer for their behavior on the mound when they get in the batter's box yeah. or so, you can't be throwing like Chris sale was throwing at someone's head in Baltimore. I think mm-hmm. it was a couple of years ago. I don't think he'd be doing that if he had to hit.
1: No, I agree. It's a, there is a place to throw at batters. There just is. I mean, that's people don't like that answer, but there really is if you're a pitcher, there is a time and a place when it behooves everyone that you are dusting a pitcher off the or a batter off the plate. And again, a lot of times they're not even throwing at the batter. they're just trying to establish the inside corner and you have to be able to do that as a pitcher or the batter's will walk all over you. So I have sympathy for pitchers. I know what it's like.
0: Yeah. And sometimes you feel for a guy when you're like, okay, this guy is. 32 years old he just got brought up for like the fourth different time in his career and he's losing velocity on his fastball Mm -hmm. and a guy just took him deep and now he's you know he's chucking his bat or doing whatever and you you do feel bad for the guy a little bit yeah
1: this is where we bring in bob uecker in major league about time it's eight nothing
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's a great movie
1: That is the greatest baseball movie. Don't let the Bull Durham or the Field of Dream folk tell you otherwise. Major League is the one. Bull Durham,
0: I I think, is a little overrated, to tell you the truth.
1: It's a relationship movie based around baseball. Yeah. And Field of Dreams is like a father-son family movie revolving around baseball. Major League is just straight baseball. So that's my argument. I like all three, but Major League is a baseball movie.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan. It's Major League, um, Field of Dreams, and The Rookie. Those would be my top three.
1: The Rookie is good. When that story happened, that's I don't know. Do I have to explain what this movie is? But but like when the Rookie (laughs) happened in real life, that was what was his name? Jim Morris. Yep. That was the coolest story ever. I remember that. That was like 2000, 2001. It was right around 9-11. It was right around that year, within a year of that somewhere. Yeah, and this guy came out of nowhere and just he was a high school pitcher. He's like, oh, all of a sudden I can throw 98. Like, what? He, <laughs> like, he can never throw 98. He, oh, just One day now he can start throwing 98. And he's like, I think I'll go to a major league tryout. And he became a major league pitcher just basically as a walk on. It was so cool.
0: And he was drafted out of high school before.
1: He was, but he had arm injuries and he never, yeah. never threw that hard before. And just all of a sudden one day he his arm tightened up or something. And all of a sudden he had these ligaments he didn't have before. I love that movie. I think yeah. it's a great movie. I, I am also a fan of the one with the uh, the pitchers from India, Million Dollar Arm. Have oh, yeah,
0: that? that's a fun one.
1: And then I love the uh, – there's a lot of the kids' baseball movies, and most of them I think are kind of silly, but there's one. Little Big League I think is fantastic.
0: Yeah, I know you did an episode on that. I was li- I was wanting to watch that and then listen yeah. to your podcast on that.
1: That one's good. That's a That's a very underrated movie for anybody who likes baseball movies. Just go rent Little Big League – Featuring the World Dynasty team, the Minnesota Twins, and the Seattle Mariners, which I love.
0: What about Moneyball?
1: Moneyball is good too, but it's hard to say that's. I mean, it's about the analytics and the yeah. business of baseball, but it's not really like. But it's cool. Moneyball is really good. I like
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different.
1: Even though those damn 2000 A's teams were the ones that kept <laughs> the Mariners out of their only World Series appearance. So. I should oh, point out yeah. the two thousand the two thousand one Mariners won what one hundred and sixteen games. They still have the record along with your beloved Cubs. I know. <laughs> yep. The next year, the Mariners team was almost as good. I think they won ninety five games. They had a drop off from one team, but they should have been in the playoffs, but they weren't because those stupid Moneyball A's won like one hundred and ten <laughs> games, and they were they were way ahead of us. So that was the problem.
0: It feels like the A's steal your thunder a lot. Like it they happened do. last year.
1: They do. That's just that's that's our relationship. We are Charlie Brown, and the A's will always be Lucy. And the minute anything good will start happening to the Mariners, all of a sudden the A's have a hundred and twenty win team that year.
0: <laughs> it's just the way it goes. It's a good comparison. I was gonna uh, circle back one more thing about the whole, uh, you know, bat flips, showmanship versus sportsmanship. Did you hear about the Max Muncy and Bumgarner confrontation from, I don't know, a month ago?
1: I mean, I heard about it, but I don't know all the details. What happened?
0: Well, it was basically Muncy just hit a juice baseball out into the ocean. He crushed it. And Bumgarner said something about, like, put, like run around the bases and stop celebrating. And then uh, Muncy said, I will when you go and get that ball out of the ocean.
1: <laughs> That's a good line. I like that. That's solid. <laughs> exactly.
0: So, like... If we're going to allow guys to have fun, we should allow allow them to have a little bit of, you know, trash talk. That's yeah. the fun stuff to me. I love that stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's their competitive juices are going. And if they're funny and not taking it personally, just go for it. I mean, it makes it more interesting. I remember there was a uh, pitcher in the 80s. I don't remember who it was. And he used to love home run balls that were hit off him that went really far. And it was like he was the opposite <laughs> of other pitchers. And they're like, why, do you, why, are you, why don't you get mad? Are you have like a 500-foot homer. He's like, I'm impressed. I threw that ball. Like I was part of the process. I'm so excited <laughs> that I was part of that home run. So like I love that mindset. Like uh, we know, F it. Sometimes the pitcher win or the batter wins, whatever.
0: That's awesome. Well, believe it or not, Mario, we went through all of these hot topics in baseball. Did you have any that you were on your mind that you thought of?
1: Well, I was going to give you an entire lexicon history on Mariners baseball from 1977 to the present, but I will probably <laughs> not do that because I don't know if I can fit that into like five minutes. <laughs> but yeah, someday we will get on. I will give you the entire history, the sad history of the Seattle Mariners, including I would just I will just say one thing. Yeah, Edgar Martinez did not start playing until he was 27. That's one of the knocks against him why wow. he never got counting stats that he was in the minors. He won like three batting titles in the minors and they would never bring him up. He was always stuck there in AAA. And the, the story you always hear is Mariners, you know, management was idiots and they they were they didn't know what they were doing. But everyone leaves out the part of the story that Seattle had a pretty good third baseman at the time named Jim Presley who If you look at his counting stats and like his his analytic stats now, he doesn't look that good. But at the time, he was the Mariners' probably second-best player. He was a good defender, and he hit a lot of home runs. So it wasn't that dumb that Edgar didn't come up right away because he had no power, and he was behind a power hitter who was actually pretty good. So... I will always defend the Mariners management for at least they weren't that stupid. Jim Presley was not that bad a player.
0: (laughs) Cool. That's that's a fun little nugget there. Um, I did have a fun topic for us to talk about before we go, because I know a lot of our survivor and (laughs) reality TV friends are listening to this. Um, You know, where I'm going with this.
1: I'm guessing this has to do with baseball players like Jeff Kent playing Survivor. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So so based on who we what we know, what kind of athletes that Survivor attracts between Jeff Kent, John Rocker and uh, Scott Pollard, who can we predict to be on Survivor
1: in the future? I'm telling you right now, I want the biggest psychopath out there. I want the biggest villain out there. I want the biggest big guy out there. And you know where I'm going with this because I'm a Mariners fan. Randy Johnson is a straight-up psychopath. <laughs> Man, he would be a great survivor villain when he's hungry and angry and competitive. <gasps>
0: and I he's six ten.
1: He's 6'10". It'll be fantastic. I want to see angry, pissed-off, starving Randy Johnson out there just screaming at people.
0: Yeah, he'd probably have like a Cliff Robinson kind of story where he'd be out after, what, three or four episodes.
1: That sounds appropriate, yeah.
0: Not enough food for the guy. Yeah,
1: or you could do it where Griffey's on one tribe, but halfway through he demands a try a trade to the other tribe, <laughs> and he says, this is who you're going to get for me. So that's what I think. And then at the end of the game, he just leaves and walks off and doesn't say goodbye. <laughs> that could work. <laughs> who are your, Who are your baseball players you'd like to see on Survivor?
0: Well, you know, I didn't put too much thought into it, but there's one guy that pitched on the Cubs a couple years ago and helped them win a World Series. He pitched on the Red Sox and the Angels and has an old-school mentality. John Lackey, I feel like, would Mm -hmm. be a pretty great survivor villain. Yeah.
1: No, I agree. you got to get somebody who's super intense and super revved up and just psychopath because you're not going to get a hero baseball player. You're not going to get Cal Ripken on there probably. You want no. a volatile relief pitcher who just you know thrives on adrenaline. So John Rocker was a wonderful choice. I know a lot of Survivor fans don't like him, but I was so yeah.
0: excited to see he crazy, great.
1: crazy adrenaline. John Rocker roided up on Survivor. I thought that was great.
0: Yeah, I love that. Like when he was gone, I was less interested in San Juan del Sur.
1: Oh, totally agree. Yeah, he was great. And then Jeff Kent, another notorious a-hole in baseball for people who know their <laughs> baseball history, where... Jeff Kent was on the same team as Barry Bonds and they'd get in fights. They didn't like each other. And most people were like, "You know what? I kind of side with Barry Bonds on this one. He might not be the <laughs> bad guy." So that's Jeff Kent. So I love that Kent and Rocker of all people ended up on Survivor. That was wonderful casting.
0: Yeah, Scott Pollard was the NBA version.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I know I know there's other psycho relief pitchers out there that would be great at this. I just don't off the top of my head. I don't know, but that's who you want. Someone with that level of volatility would be so fun to watch on Survivor.
0: Yeah, if you were gonna go, if you are gonna go uh, basketball, you get Bill Ambir. That'd be a good oh, one.
1: Oh, oh, that's the greatest casting thing ever. I want <laughs> Bill Ambir cheap shotting people in all the challenges. It'll be fantastic. <laughs>
0: My mom had the idea for Survivor. Have you ever seen Impractical Jokers?
1: No, is that a movie or a TV show?
0: It's a TV show where these guys just troll people in public. <laughs> all it, right, and they it's like these four lifelong friends, and basically they just tell each other stuff that they have to do. And the whole point is to embarrass each other. And so my mom's idea was to just put like two of the jokers on. Cause there are four of them put two on each tribe and people don't know that they're the <laughs> jokers and they're just there to mess up everything for everyone.
1: So now it's the mole. We've combined survivor with the mole <laughs> where you have a saboteur on each tribe trying to bring them down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they're just like, they're just messing with each other and just like, no one knows that they're joking. It'd be kind of like the coconuts
1: kind of dynamic. Yeah, no, I agree. It would be, it would be kind of like what Johnny Fairplay was doing to an extent. Like people might say Russell Hans because he was throwing out the water, but he was just straight out trying to like hurt people. Like Fairplay was just messing with the structure of the show. I would love to see a pair of Johnny Fairplays on both tribes every season
0: oh yeah that would be great
1: plus imagine how hilarious it would be that they would be making the intentionally the wrong moves the ones that were not strategically sound and like all of survivor <laughs> reddit and all the strategy experts would be going insane trying to figure out these moves and trying to debate why they're the wrong moves
0: <laughs> you know there was one other guy who was a former cub those are the guys who just come to mind for me um for a potential survivor contestant. And I actually thought the trajectory he was at, that he may end up on the show because he did dancing with the stars, but now he's got a nice comfortable position as a uh, broadcaster. And I think David Ross, okay. um, I, I feel like he's the kind of guy that looks normal enough that he could try to do the whole, like, Oh, I'm David Ross. And they have no idea that I played major league baseball. I'm undercover.
1: I'm a landscaper. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm Hawkins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. I would love to, uh, more pro athletes. I would just love to see that. I just love seeing goofy stuff on Survivor. Like my opinion on the show in general is, we've seen everything you're gonna see on that show. It's been on 35 seasons, so like, just do crazy stuff. Do a celebrity edition. Throw all athletes out there. Just do something goofy with it. So I'm totally in favor of that.
0: I agree. I'm with you. All right. Now, in the world of Amazing Race, if we were to cast Amazing Race athlete pairs any come to mind
1: i think those two that you just mentioned the bumgartner and the guy who hit the humuncy i think they would be a yeah. fantastic <laughs> pair those guys up because you want a team that hates each other and just <laughs> bicker like a married couple so that would be my team right there i was thinking the bash brothers oh well yeah canseco is just made for tv he needs to be yeah. on tv so, Can and McGuire? They're doing the forearm bash after every leg and stuff.
0: Like, I want to time travel them from 1989 to now, <laughs> and they compete on the Amazing Race
1: at their peak when they're all roided up. Yeah. So it would be funny. Like, they're doing challenges where you like have to move a puzzle around, and like McGuire's breaking the pieces in half accidentally, like <laughs> Incredible Hulk, and they're just shattering. And Conseco is like, yeah, hitting on every woman he walks by with the sunglasses. It would be fantastic.
0: Did you get a chance to check out the Andy Samberg uh, Lonely Island Bash Brothers special? I did.
1: I did. I love all Lonely Island stuff. I thought it was great.
0: Yeah, that was really fun. And of course, not surprisingly, Conseco loved it.
1: <laughs> I will give you a fun fact about Conseco and Maguire. Yeah. Mark Maguire was the first autograph I ever got at a baseball game. This is back in 1987. I was 13. He was at the Kingdom and he was signing autographs. So I got a Mark McGuire autograph rookie card, and it was a big deal because he had 49 home runs his rookie year. That was a big deal. Even at the time, everyone thought this guy was going to be amazing. Jose Canseco is a different story. <laughs> Jose Canseco got in trouble in Seattle, I think on the same homestand because, or no, it was the year before in 86. Someone had brought up a rated rookie card of the two big rookies in the al at the time 1986 it had wally joiner and jose canseco and some kid in seattle gave this to canseco to sign it canseco not only did not sign it he decided to deface wally joiner on the card instead he drew <laughs> elephant ears on him and i think he drew like a, a penis perhaps i don't know if i can say that <laughs> so i'll always remember that jose canseco's first instinct was to deface a child's baseball card so he can make fun of wally Joyner. <laughs> it That's was kind of controversial. Yeah, it was kind of controversial at the time. I remember a lot of people were upset about that.
0: I think in terms of amazing race, you could also any kind of pitcher catcher combo I think would be interesting. Those guys work well together.
1: Uh-huh. No, I agree. Yeah, because they, they speak their own language already. That would be good. Especially someone who's like super cerebral, like uh Seattle had Jamie Moyer. Yeah. Like seventy miles an hour. So getting him and like his catcher, Dan Wilson, that those guys spoke whatever language they did to make that guy be a successful pitcher. So they would be, it would be interesting to see them work out the show like that.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to think of other famous duos in terms of the sport of baseball. I mean, there's always Ooh. famous
1: double play combinations. There's always famous yeah, uh, let's yeah. see, managers that don't like each other. That would be fun.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: too. I'm sure.
0: I don't know. I don't. I don't. Larusa and anyone. Yeah, there
1: you go. <laughs> it'd be amazing to see how many pitching changes LaRusso could make in the middle of an amazing race leg (laughs) LaRusso and Bobby Cox yeah or just Ricky Henderson and anybody that would be a good team
0: yeah that would be I know you're a big uh, Ricky fan
1: Ricky is my favorite player of all time apologies to Edgar Martinez Ricky is my number one I always wore number 24 when I played he was my guy he was ahead of his time he was a showman who happened to play baseball. He was ahead of his time. I
0: may surprise you with what number I wore, because this is a guy who played a long long before I was born. I wore number seven. Do you know what player I modeled number seven
1: after? Off the top of my head, I believe, is that Billy Williams? No. No, no. Was that Ernie Banks? Who is that? No, it
0: wasn't a Cubs player.
1: Oh, well then, screw you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey Mantle. Okay, so you were, you were a toe-headed switch hitter with good speed from the Midwest?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had an interesting story. So uh, I love when we talk Little League stories. Uh, in third, My dad taught me how to switch hit as a kid. And I get on my third grade team, and this is Park District. And the coach says, hey, um, we don't have switch hitters on this team. You got to pick which side you're going to hit from for the rest of your life right now.
1: The man was keeping you down.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was it for me.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was a switch hitter, too. I just was not good at all, so I only hit (laughs) right-handed.
0: Yeah, it was like when I would, even in like junior high, like if I was in a slump, I would go up and hit left-handed, and I would always make contact, but I wouldn't have the same kind of strength, and then I'd hit after that.
1: Yeah, you just have to be Rod Carew. You just basically stick the bat out there and hit it to the opposite field, and that's what you do as a lefty. Now, now my, my big, even though Ricky was my idol, I never really met him. Although, that's not true. One time at the Kingdom, I used to stay after, we'd stay after the game for autographs all the time, and one time, Ricky Henderson came out in, like, Michael Jackson red leather suit, like, he his sunglasses, and he was with a bunch of other Yankees. This is when he was on the Yankees at the time, and I remember him saying, get these kids the F out of my way. So, <laughs> that's my experience with Ricky Henderson. I was going to say, my interaction was uh, Dale Murphy, the Atlanta Braves superstar. Yeah. He lived in Portland, and my uncle was his butcher. So my uncle would always say, hey, I got this nephew, Mario. Could you send him some stuff? And Dale Murphy must have sent me like 100 autographed balls, bats, uniforms, all sorts of stuff as a kid. I had this pipeline of Dale Murphy merchandise coming to me. It was pretty cool.
0: I love those kind of guys. The guys who get it, they understand how exciting it is for kids. And I met some of those guys when I was a kid. Big one being Joe Girardi. Great guy.
1: Yeah, it just makes a big difference in a kid's life. Just one pro athlete doing something nice for you once, like that lasts them their lifetime. It's really kind of cool. And yeah, Dale Murphy, historically, just one of the great guys in baseball. And I've always, you know, I always appreciated that.
0: Yeah, and if I, I don't tip, you know, it's funny. I typically don't talk about this Cubs this much on a podcast, but what I would, because I I look, I try to be as unbiased as possible, but uh, Chris Bryant, I've interacted with him several times at Cubs games, spring training, one of the nicest people you ever meet. Fantastic yeah. guy.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's, I think there's more good eggs than bad eggs. Like, you have to be very disciplined, and you probably have to be, you know, respect and appreciate what you've been given and all you work for to make it to the show to begin with. So I'm guessing there's more good eggs than bad eggs, unlike the Jose Consecos of the world who are defacing <laughs> kids' baseball cards. <laughs> now I have another one, um, John Olerud. You know John Olerud, Yeah,
0: right? yeah. He was a really good player.
1: He went to my high school. He was a couple of years. He's like six years ahead of me. He was class of eighty six. I was class of ninety two, and that guy is the quietest, most humble guy ever. Like it's amazing. I believe it. You'd have no idea that guy was a pro baseball player, and like we all grew up in his shadow. He was a two way. He was the number one pitcher and the number one hitter in college at you know Washington State, and he was amazing. But like you grew up in in the school after him, and everyone would say there was a spot up on our gym that was like five hundred feet away. And they would always say, yeah, Olerud hit one up there. So if you want to to be John Olerud, hit it over there. And I'm like, no human being could hit it there. They're like, yeah, Olerud did when he was 17.
0: That's awesome. That's so cool. Uh, The only major league connection I have at the moment is that Charlie Tilson, uh, one of the outfielders on the White Sox, was a grade above me at my high school. Um, Mm -hmm. Never actually met him myself. I've only heard great things. Was uh, friends with my brother, actually.
1: He's a cool guy. Okay, I will. I have one more. I will share this one. I don't tell this story very much, but okay. I'll give you an exclusive yeah. here. Uh, you know, you know, Moonlight Graham, the guy in yeah, Field yeah. Dreams. Yep, played in one game. That's his history. I happen to have played baseball. Grew up with a kid who was exactly like that. He got into one major league game, and he got a win in his only relief appearance. His name was John Leroy L E R O Y, from Bellevue, Washington. I grew up with this kid, and I was a pretty good player. I, again, I could have played probably in college. I could have walked on if I'd wanted to, but like I was played up through American Legion, and this kid John Leroy was the best pitcher in the Seattle area at the time. Like it was not a question. I hated facing this kid. Like I, I, I played against him for like eight years, and like I don't think I ever got a hit off him. And I would actually be mad if I actually made contact because it would hurt my hand. So I'd rather strike out or walk than actually hit the ball to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so I played against him and then we played together in American Legion. He was our star pitcher and I played left field behind him when he threw a no-hitter. He threw a 7-inning no-hitter in in North Dakota in 1992 and I played behind him and I could have sat down out in left field. I was not going to get a ball. In 7 <laughs> innings I think he struck out 19 and it was a no-hitter. It wow. was amazing. So this guy John Leroy made it to the majors. And he you know, worked his way up. He got into one game with the Atlanta Braves in, I think, 97. Got the win in relief. If you look at him on in, in, uh, in baseball reference, he got one win, one appearance. Then he went back down to the minors. He had arm problems. And he was having routine surgery one day in 1999 or so. And he had a brain aneurysm and died in the middle of surgery. Oh, my goodness. So if you look him up on baseball reference, one game, one win. And that's it. And I knew that guy. No runs? Uh, I think he gave up a run but he ended up getting the win because his team came back and from behind. It, like, he wasn't dominant, but, again, he got a win in his only major league appearance, which is pretty cool.
0: That is cool. That's a neat connection. Most of the guys that I have some kind of a connection to are in the minors right now yeah. because my age, you know. But... Um... Yeah, it's always fun to talk about those. Let me ask you one more thing, and I'm going to give you a chance to plug uh, anything and everything that you're working on right now with your 12 different projects. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so um, we mentioned Amazing Race. Did you get a chance to watch this whole season unfold? I thought it was fantastic.
1: I did. I don't know. When Amazing Race first came out, I liked it almost as much as Survivor. So I watched all the first 10 seasons or so, and then, then eventually just got kind of got repetitive. Yeah. So I stopped, but I came back this season because I'd heard that Colin and Christy were on and Rupert was going to be on and uh, Eliza. I have friends with Eliza, so I wanted to see her on there. So I watched it just kind of as a lark. I kind of went back and I thought it was fun. I still think the show is kind of repetitive. It's kind of like what you've seen, everything that's going to happen. But I did like this season. Yeah,
0: I thought it was to tell you the truth. I thought it was my f- it was my favorite season of reality TV that I've seen since maybe like worlds apart. Wow. Yeah, okay, so that good. was four or five years ago. But I mean, what has it been up against? Has yeah. there been that much stuff that's been that good?
1: I don't that's the thing. I don't think Survivor's been good in years. I I have no idea if Amazing Race has been good in years. I've never watched Big Brother. So to me, reality T V is a genre that's like it's a two thousand genre that's still hanging around for some reason. Like it doesn't really fit in this time. So to yeah. me I see it as a relic of the past. So I don't really know what even is out there anymore.
0: I just thought there were so many great character scenes, character moments. I loved Brett and Chris. I thought they were great.
1: Yeah, they were great. I love that final episode with the, uh, the White Stripes challenge in Detroit yeah. where they had to play the song. To this day, I think that song is still stuck in my head after that episode. <laughs> it's been a couple months now.
0: It sounded so cool with the choir, too. I really like that yeah. rendition.
1: It was, it was funny because it made me want to visit Detroit, which is always the cool thing about Amazing Race. It's like yeah. travel porn. And Survivor used to have that in the old days. Like, oh, I want to go to Palau. I want to swim with a jellyfish. Oh, I want to go to Marquesas. But, like, they don't do that anymore, so there's no travel porn. But Amazing Race, what's neat is it can still do that. They took – I'm, I'm going to besmirch all the lovely residents of Detroit here. But they took the <laughs> worst city in the U.S., historically Detroit. Everyone says Detroit is terrible. And they made me want to visit that city just from an episode of TV. So there's something to be said for that. Well, I went to
0: Detroit two years ago. I was covering a conference basketball tournament Mm -hmm. and at least right now, they've really cleaned up downtown and downtown is really cool down there. It's underrated, but you get out of downtown, not quite as nice. It's the stuff (laughs) Eminem raps about.
1: I'm going to go down to eight mile. That's where I'm going to go hang out. (laughs) So if Detroit's not the worst city, what's the worst city? Is it New York? Are we saying Mm. New York? (laughs) Well, see, I'm not a big like huge city person yeah.
0: so like i would feel overwhelmed if i went to new york so i i don't i don't know i haven't been
1: yeah I, I don't like big cities in general even though i i say i live in la i really don't we live an hour outside of la in the desert we're out in the suburbs so i don't like big cities either i really am uncomfortable in most of them although i do like boston and i like chicago those are the two i've always in san francisco san francisco is special i like that city
0: Yeah, I love San Diego. San Diego is my favorite city that I've been to. That's right. Hodad's. Go to Hodad's. (laughs) I will have to go back. Um, Glad you like Chicago.
1: Have you been to Wrigley? I have never been to Wrigley, I'm sorry to say. I've only been to Chicago four times in my life. I've been downtown. I've seen, I've been to all the museums. I was just there a couple weeks ago. We went to the Science and Industry Museum. We, oh, saw, yeah. we saw where the White Sox play. I saw the filming locations for one of my favorite movies, My Bodyguard, 1980, set in Chicago, but I have never been to Wrigley.
0: Man, did you go to a Sox game?
1: I did not. No, we didn't have time. Just saw it on the interstate. Just drove by, saw the Bears field and saw the Sox field. I think it was the night the Rolling Stones were in town, so there was a ton of Stones fans walking around. Yeah,
0: that was probably pretty a lot of traffic that night.
1: It was a poor day to walk around downtown Chicago and think you were going to get parking for less than $75. Yeah. (laughs) Now, okay, I'll swing this around. Have you been to Safeco or Seattle?
0: I have not been to Seattle, but I've been to every... um, Every ballpark in the state of California. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, says Seattle should be next. I will say, yeah growing up in the kingdom, like I was used to indoor baseball. I'm just used to having a dome over my head and, you know, it's 72 degrees every game. It's always real comfortable. The first time I went to an outdoor baseball game was like 1987. And we went to the Oakland Coliseum and it was like I was in a cathedral. I had never seen outdoor baseball before. It was so amazing. So, like, I will always have fond memories of that Oakland Coliseum just because I would, I, I'd seen this place on TV. I'd seen outdoor baseball. Look, there's Mark McGuire. There's Ricky Henderson. There's Dennis Eckersley. So, it's like, it was so interesting seeing outdoor baseball for the first time because you, you didn't see that as a kid.
0: They have really good, uh, I know you don't, uh, you don't follow up with the food at all these parks, but they have good barbecue at uh, Oakland.
1: Okay. Good. I will keep I, that in mind because I may go up there.
0: The fans are so into it there. It's it's sad that that place gets so much hatred.
1: Yeah, well, it's the the Bay Area split. That's the issue. Yeah. Oakland, you know, you familiar with this? All the politics and stuff. Yeah, because yeah, Oakland wants all the South Bay, where all the money is. They want San Jose, Santa Clara. That's where I went to college. I I grew up in there. I'm from that area, and my wife is from San Jose, so I know it real well. And Oakland should have rights to all that money and all that fan base but the giants are just jerks and they block them so it's one of these things oakland should have the rights to that south bay but they can't get it and it's it's it really angry when i see it because oakland should be like a huge franchise they have all they have access to the richest part of the country
0: well mario this was a lot of fun it was so fun to get into all this stuff why don't you tell the listeners about some of the stuff you're working on right now that they should check out
1: Oh, boy. This is fun. Okay. So most people know me as a survivor <laughs> writer. I write about the TV show Survivor. I have been writing about it almost since day one. I am probably, if not the longest running survivor writer, one of the top three. I've been there since the beginning. I've written a book about it. I have a book about the show called When It Was Worth Playing For, which is about the history of the show, how it was recently-
0: Mario, let me cut you off for a second. You should be in the Survivor Hall of Fame. If they allow baseball writers in the hall in the Cooperstown, you should be in the Hall of Fame.
1: I'm fine with that, but you know what? Uh, should I say this? This next part is what's, what's going to get me in trouble. Should I say this next part? <laughs> yes. A few years ago, they put together the Survivor Hall of Fame, and they had all these writers vote on it, and they did not ask me to be involved, and I really was kind of ticked off about that. Oh, man. They did not. How? The guy who wrote the history book on Survivor, you'd think, would be the guy, but they know, yeah. they did not invite me to vote on. Did not know well, that. And this is why people like Colleen Haskell and Rudy were not really considered right away because nobody knows their Survivor history. Yes, yeah, so anyway, Wow, I didn't yeah, know so that. The, I wrote a book. It's about the first three seasons of Survivor. It has everything you need to know about why the show came out, how it was received, how the audience reacted, why certain things were portrayed the way they were. It's really interesting. That's what I'm into. I'm not interested in so much who wins Survivor or who the best players are. I've always been more interested in the history of the show, why it's it's edited and marketed to the audience the way that it is. It's all about psychology and editing and stuff and storytelling. So that's what I do. I have a website called the Funny 115 funny115.com, where I count down the, in my opinion, funniest moments of Survivor history, and I use lots of screen caps, and there's lots of really intricate little details and editing jokes I put in there that people may have missed. In fact, I just posted an entry. Have you read the the Purple Kelly entry I just posted? I haven't
0: gotten around to it yet, but I saw it. Uh, Kelly Purple or Purple Kelly? Yeah,
1: Purple (laughs) Kelly was a girl for people who don't know Survivor. She was on the show. They recruited her. They threw her out there, and they gave her no clothes. They're like, here, you're the hot girl. We'll give you a bikini. And she's like, it's the rainy season. And they're like, we don't care. You're not going to last long enough anyway. It doesn't matter. You can sit out in the rain in a bikini for three days. She lasted 28 days, and then she quit because she had no clothes, because they gave her no clothes. And then they were so mad that she quit, they decided to make an example out of her, and they gave her the most embarrassing, humiliating edit ever. And I basically walked through exactly what they did to her and how horrible it was, and it's... One of those entries that I'm going to be remembered for one day because it's, it's very harsh and cutting and pretty I would say pretty epic. It's one of the bigger ones. But I will also never be invited to a Survivor event again because I'm really harsh <laughs> on Jeff Probst and the producers that I call them out. And there's a couple F words I call them. So that's one of the entries. But that's the kind of stuff I write, just very interesting historical detail on the show And besides Survivor, I do a podcast called uh, The Survivor Historians where we talk about the show. We put out an an episode like every four months. We don't do that very much. Yeah,
0: are you guys ever going to finish Heroes and Villains?
1: (laughs) We will. It's just hard. There's four of us that all have other projects, and and we can only record on a Sunday because they're four-hour episodes, so it takes forever to coordinate. We will. It's just not – it's like my fifth priority. Historians is never my big one. And then I've branched out recently that I – I love movies. Have you heard me talking about the Bad News Bears and Little Big League? (laughs) I have a movie podcast called Staff Picks where I delve into my history with movies that I think are underrated or underappreciated. And I basically talk about why you should give this movie a chance and go watch it or if you don't like it, why you should like it. And so Staff Picks, you can find at staffpicks.podbean.com. I'm very proud of that. We've done like 65 episodes.
0: Awesome. Anything else? SNL? or?
1: Well, I was doing Saturday Night Live podcasts with Mike Bloom, but I think we're done with those. I think those ended at the end of last season, just because it's too oh, many okay. projects. I can't do six podcasts at once. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I am a big SNL fan, TV fan, comedy fan. I, I haven't missed an episode of SNL since like 1985. I have this Cal Ripken-like streak going on. <laughs> and uh, Mystery Science Theater is one of my other shows I love talking about that I just love comedy, pop culture Anything that makes me laugh in general And of course, baseball Which, when the Mariners become good again in 2021 With Jared <laughs> Kalalnik Once he pops up there and go back, I will go It will once again be my number one uh, thing that I love in life
0: Yeah, you might have to start up one of these kind of podcasts
1: Yeah, I don't know I'm not sure I can add it to the list My <laughs> wife will divorce me instantly if I spend any less time with her <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, you want to throw out your Twitter handle
1: yeah you can find me at Twitter at Mario J Lanza although I'm not on there that much I don't I, I don't really treat Twitter like other people do I don't like hey here's my podcast like yeah. and subscribe please comment I, I don't really do that I, I just kind of post stuff and say hey if you want to listen to it this is kind of cool so I'm not really active on Twitter but if you'd like to reach me at Mario J Lanza or just go to my website funny115.com and there's links there to email me that's the best way to reach me
0: Okay, great. Thank you so much, Mario. This was a blast. I really appreciate this.
1: It has been a pleasure. Thank you. Like you like I said, first time I have ever been allowed to be on a baseball podcast before. So I'm very excited. <laughs> I...
0: <laughs> well, maybe we'll do it again someday. You were a great guest. Oh, thank you. Thank you for hosting. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that does it for my conversation with Mario Lanza today. Had a great time talking baseball and everything going on in the league. And the state of the game, and all that kind of stuff with a true baseball historian. Had a great time. So thankful that he was able to join me today. Go ahead and check out his work. I highly recommend it. He does a great job, and it was very kind of him to join me today. If this is your first time listening to the podcast or you're a new listener, I suggest subscribe to The Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You will never miss an episode. That's right. Uh, had a great time coming up later on the podcast next week. I'm going to be covering the trade deadline should be a lot of fun. We'll see might pop in a couple other podcasts here and there, and then we am going to go on vacation. I'm turning 25. So hope everyone had a great time and enjoyed listening to this. Make sure you have a great weekend. Bring in the dancing lobsters.